Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and today is our Avengers Endgame episode, which means before we even get started, I just want to say one thing real quick, so just so no one complains. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. We are spoiling the hell out of this movie, so if you have not seen it and you care about that, go away. Come back later. Okay, I said we, and that's not just because I'm crazy. We have two people with me, of of course, because why wouldn't he be here? I drag him into most things I do. John Wilson's back. Hey, John. Five years later. I'm here. How's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm all right. Hey, you were in there here in the first year. You're pretty much in like the first like dozen, ten episodes or so. Yeah. And we also have a first time guest, which is awesome. Now, they, you've, if you listen to John's other show, Make Ours Marvel, you've definitely heard her on the X-Men movie episodes from Sci-Fi Fangirls, Sarah Sentry. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Great. Well, glad to have you here. I've liked you a lot on the X-Men episodes. You made it a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or I should say help make it. I make it sound like John and, you know, Kaiser suck. Really, I was carrying them, I feel like, the whole time. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not going to say that out loud. Oh, <laughs> cut this. <laughs> Inside voice. <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks very much, John. You you know that I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're yes. here to talk about um, some 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 Avengers movies. Yes, yes, the the big Avenger movie. I mean, oh my god. I mean, okay. First of all, then real quick, did anyone not like the movie? Okay, so we all like it. <laughs> well, I'd like to know then where we're, where the conversation's gonna go. I mean, if someone really didn't like the movie, that's definitely a way to take the conversation. Mm-hmm. So the next time, Sarah, that you and I are gonna be talking is gonna be about X Men Three. And um, oh, so, you know, yeah. that'll be a different kind of conversation. It'll be a little different, I think. Oh, God, that's on um, the juggernaut. Oh, the juggernaut. Oh, dear. Oh, that should be interesting. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited. Um, I definitely had a different array of emotions, I think, for X3 than I did for Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have to say so. <laughs> I'm going to assume most people did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, speaking when you said five years, this is, what, ten years it's been since Iron Man? Twenty-two movies, all more or less leading up to this last movie. Which, in a way, could have just closed, I mean, they could have just stopped right here. And said, okay, we're done. Marvel's o- Marvel movies are over. It does make you really wonder what their next directions are going to be. Because a lot of the driving forces of the MCU have been closed. And they've, they've brought in a lot of other elements. But, you know, what's going what's gonna to drive things forward now? It's, it's, it's something I'm very, very curious about. Yeah, well, that's definitely something to think about. How they're going to go in the future. So, okay, real quick here, just for anyone who's, in case someone's listened to this two years from now and has forgotten what happened in the movie specifically, I'm going to go cheat and sneak on Wikipedia and read off their uh, plot of the movie. So that's going to go right here. Okay, for anyone who has forgotten the specific details of the movie, or maybe you, for some reason, didn't watch the movie, but you want to listen to the episode, 
I was going to spend some time and write out a detailed plot of the movie, going over my notes and remembering what happened, and then I just said, screw it, I'm stealing this from Wikipedia. So if anything's wrong, not my fault. It's the poll of the people I stole it from. <clears throat> Here we go. 23 days after Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet to disintegrate half of all life in the universe, Carol Danvers rescues Tony Stark and Nebula from deep space and returns them to Earth. They reunite with the remaining Avengers. Bruce Banner, Steve Rogers, Rocket, Thor, Natasha Romanoff, and James Rhodes, and find Thanos on an uninhabited planet. They plan to retake and use the Infinity Stones to reverse the disintegrations, but Thanos reveals he destroyed them to prevent further use. An enraged Thor decapitates Thanos. Five years later, Scott Lang escapes from the Quantum Realm. He travels to the Avengers compound, where he explains to Romanoff and Rogers that he experienced only five hours while trapped. Theorizing the quantum realm could allow time travel, the three ask Stark to help them retrieve the stones from the past to reverse Thanos' actions in the present, but Stark refuses to help. After talking with his wife, Pepper Potts, Stark relents and works with Banner, who has since merged his intelligence with the Hulk's strength and body, and the two successfully build a time machine. Banner warns that changing the past does not affect their present, and any changes instead create branched alternate realities. He and Rocket go to the Asgardian refugees' new home in Norway to recruit Thor, now an overweight alcoholic, despondent over his failure in stopping Thanos. In Tokyo, Romanoff recruits Clint Barton, now a ruthless vigilante following the disintegration of his family. Banner, Lang, Rogers, and Stark travel to New York City in 2012. Banner visits the Sanctum Sanctorum and convinces the Ancient One to give him the Time Stone. Rogers successfully retrieves the Mind Stone, but Stark and Lang inadvertently allow 2012 Loki to escape with the Space Stone. Rogers and Stark travel to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters in 1970, where Stark obtains an earlier version of the Space Stone and encounters a young Howard Stark in the process while Rogers steals several Pym particles from Hank Pym to return to the present. Rocket and Thor travel to Asgard in 2013, extracting the Reality Stone from Jane Foster and retrieving Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. Nebula and Rhodes travel to Morag in 2014 and steal the Power Stone before Peter Quill can. Rhodes returns to the present with the Power Stone, but Nebula is incapacitated when her cybernetic implants link with those of her past self. Through this connection, 2014 Thanos learns of his future success, and the Avengers attempt to undo it. Thanos captures her and sends past Nebula to the present in the former's place. Bart and Romanoff travel to Vormir, where the Soul Stone's keeper, the Red Skull, reveals it can only be acquired by sacrificing someone they love. Romanoff sacrifices herself, allowing Barton to obtain the Soul Stone. Reuniting in the present, the Avengers fit the stones into a Stark-created gauntlet, which Banner uses to resurrect all those who Thanos disintegrated. Past Nebula uses the time machine to transport past Thanos and his warship to the present, where he attacks the Avengers compound, planning to destroy and then rebuild the universe with the stones. Nebula convinces past Gamora to betray Thanos and kills her past self. Stark, Rogers, and Thor fight Thanos, but are outmatched. Thanos summons his army to devastate the Earth, but a restored Stephen Strange arrives, with other sorcerers, the restored Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy, the armies of Wakanda and Asgard, and the Ravagers to fight Thanos and his army alongside Danvers, 
who destroys Thanos' warship as she arrives. After overpowering the heroes, Thanos seizes the gauntlet, but Stark steals the stones back and uses them to disintegrate Thanos and his army. Stark then dies from the energy emitted in the process. Following Stark's funeral, Thor appoints Valkyrie as the king of New Asgard and joins the Guardians of the Galaxy, while Quill searches for 2014 Gamora. Rogers returns the Infinity Stones to their original places and time, and remains in the past to live with Peggy Carter. In the present, an elderly Rogers passes on his shield and mantle to Sam Wilson. In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. And that was a description of the movie. <laughs> okay, so we have... There's a lot of characters in this movie, although I will say they at least did pare it down a lot by the, because of the snap and mostly focused on the original Avengers with a few other ha- people hanging out, like uh, Rhodey and Rocket, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And Nebula. Nebula. Really, the only one who didn't get killed in the snap who really didn't have... wasn't in the bulk of the movie was Captain Marvel. Unless I'm forgetting somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and like Sarah said, Nebula, is, she's not an original character. She came in at the Guardians, but she was very, very important to this part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Nebula's been one of my favorite parts of the MCU because I never really cared for the Nebula character in the comics before. I mean, when I get up to stuff with her when, in our the way the podcast is going, maybe I'll feel differently, but anytime I've read her before, I just can remember thinking of generic space pirate. Mm-hmm. And this Nebula was definitely someone interesting and different and someone I was wanted to see more of. Yeah, I think that her arc showed the most growth and also was just kind of the most interesting as far as you know, uh, it being like a heroic arc, like starting in one place and going into a place that we didn't really expect to see from her. Yeah, because, I mean, she is a definite villainous, at least, type character. I mean, in the first, when you first see her in the Guardians movie, she's only working for Thanos because she has to, but I was re-watching some of the scenes and she full-on tells Ronan, After Xandar, you were going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me? You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets. Yeah, she was a little bit of a cipher in that first film. There weren't a whole lot of notes for her. Uh, I think she that the second Guardians of the film, for some of its mixed elements, it did a lot to bring Nebula out a bit more to set her up for, for her role in these two films. 
Yeah, the themes of like gaslighting and child abuse and stuff like that, I think with Nebula was so, so interesting. By the end of it, you just feel so bad for her. Mm-hmm. And it's strange yeah. because you start in this place where you're not necessarily being very sympathetic towards her. She doesn't seem like a sympathetic character and really in the least, you know, and then later I cried <laughs> multiple times because of Nebula, this movie. Oh, and I completely thought they were going to kill her. I thought Thanos was going to mm-hmm. kill her and we were only going to have evil Nebula at the end. Mm-hmm. I thought so, too. And so. going into the movie, you wonder how much of Nebula's original story role is going to be in the story. I mean, they didn't really do very much like that at all. Um, she did help save the day in some really important ways, but they used her very differently. I mean... When it comes right down to it, this Infinity Gauntlet story, beyond the basic concept, is a very, very different tale. Oh, 100%, than, yeah. Than the original one. So I, I, we shouldn't have expected Nebula to have that same role. But mm-hmm. I think the story they did tell was extremely compelling. Well, for the most part of most of these things, we keep forgetting. It's almost like we keep forgetting every movie. But like for the most part, they basically just take the basic plot premise I mean, you know, Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet and kills half the people in the universe. That's basically all they used. Everything else is pretty much different. Uh, Civil War. Iron Man and Captain America are on opposite sides with several heroes joining on each side fighting. Beyond that, Mm -hmm. even Captain Marvel, the newest one, she gets her powers from Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel dies in a kind of mundane way and is basically thought of as a hero by the Skrulls and hated by the Kree. Beyond that, it's all different, but the original premise is still there. And yet we keep forgetting that each movie, it seems like. (laughs) We keep expecting them to be closer to what it is, and when really they just completely change those things. And they're using just a completely different cast, really. In the comics, we have also the entire X-Men and all kinds of other characters that could never have fit into this movie that already has way too many characters. Um so I think that like just the fact that they are using such a different cast and that we've grown to know them in different ways in the MCU. Captain America is different. Tony Stark is different, you know, not extremely different, but they are different. So their character beats are going to be different. Yeah, because it's all going to be affected by not just how the movies do, of course, but by the actors and how they portray it. Mm-hmm. It's not and, just drawing. And Jermaine, to this particular podcast theme, um, you know, Adam Warlock has a huge role in the Affinity stories that is completely mm-hmm. absent from these films. Oh, yeah. Well, since they had, didn't even have him at the point of Guardians 2, I knew even if he showed up since something, you know, there was no, they weren't going to bring him in. There was no point. That's just adding in an extra element that wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, since we talked about Nebula, let's go over some of the other characters. Anyone have any characters and their arcs in this movie that they really did like or didn't like? John, anything? Sorry, Sarah, did you have someone? (laughs) I'm actually making coffee, so y'all go ahead. I'll I'll listen and respond. Uh, Okay. Um, So I, of course, hated the Black Widow's arc. (laughs) I really liked her in this movie more than I did in the other movies, I think. But also just it kind of completed her run of not doing enough, kind of, and not being given enough to work with, I think. But I don't know. I thought she did a really good job. I actually liked ScarJo for a second, which I wasn't super expecting, um, I guess. Uh, 
But yeah, I don't know. It was like it was humanized and it was nice to see her being active and talking to people and still having these emotional connections that she was having such, you know, trouble with, I think, early on kind of flourish a little bit more. But at the same time, it just kind of sucked. It was not necessary. She wasn't remembered that well, from what I remember. Like, at the end, everybody else had these big moments, and her big moment was kind of like the midway point of the movie instead of, you know, at the end. same. Yeah, having that same repercussions, I guess, even. Because she dies in this way that doesn't really make sense for the plot I guess too and it just kind of seemed like they needed to do it for whatever reason and that's like how they did it right yeah Um, I mean I I did wonder about that because we do have a Black Widow movie coming out I thought so mm -hmm. I kind of expected it to be Hawkeye yeah I think everybody did (laughs) unless that's why they did it yeah There was just a lot of problems for me with that because obviously MCU has had such a really strong need to kind of establish. I mean, it's the same as a lot of things, so you can't call them out specifically really, but they've had this kind of like women are important in these really specific ways, right? Up until Captain Marvel, pretty much. And then you have you know, Black Widow who doesn't have a kid and, like, that's why she's, like, she considers herself to be expendable and then she therefore becomes expendable to the movie, which I just kind of feel like the Black Widow we knew would probably have been, like, damn, that sucks that Clint's got to go. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that she, well, you know, she is, like, self-sacrificial in the comics, too, so I don't want to make her seem like she's very cold, but she's definitely somebody who gets the job done, like, every time, which is what she was doing here. Oh, yeah, she was keeping it going. She was the leader, basically, for the last five years. It reminded me a lot of, I don't know if you read uh, around the time of Onslaught. Yeah. After that, when there was no when there, all the rest of the Avengers were in the Heroes Were Born thing by Jim Lee, uh, Jim Lee and Liefeld, uh-huh. they would show her like in the different series, like she was running around basically trying to take care of any Avengers business. She was like being the one man Avengers team. Right. Um, but what sucks about that, I think, is is that she's put in that position where all of the guys are off like having adventures and stuff like that. Like there was just not a lot of triumph to the moment, and I feel like she had had so much everybody being like, well, you're really squandering this character. And then the ending of that character was kind of just like, oh. (laughs) Oh, I agree with that. I do hope, however, with the Black Widow movie, that maybe we'll get a surprise. Because, okay, so Hulk wasn't able to bring her back with the the gauntlet. Uh But there's a few things, of course. Uh, For one thing, regardless of how Cap ended up at the last thing, he did bring back all the gems. Mm -hmm. Now... The whole point of the whole soul gem thing is that you, to get that, at least in the movie, to get the soul gem, you have to give a soul up. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever brought the soul gem back? They never said that. They never said anything about that, So because no one probably ever has. So the question is, what happens when you bring it, bring it back? I mean, could it be as simple as that? Could it be as simple as, oh, well, crap, this has never happened before. Right. Because now we have this soul that we're not supposed to have now because you brought the gem back. The real question um, is, why is the Red Skull guarding the Soul Gem? That's the real question. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when that Nazi shows up. I was like, oh, God, the Nazi's back. Dear God. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice little callback to what happened to him in the first movie when he vanishes. Sure. Yeah. But I, I think I would have preferred something like uh, his corpse. Mm-hmm. 
anything that didn't. So that it has actual meaning to the character and to his narrative rather than just like, oh, he's actually this mystical being who guards the soul gem. <laughs> yeah. Or just happens to look and sound like the guy that isn't him at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I'm happy with that. Anything that makes it just not be a Nazi on television, <laughs> I'm pretty good with. Yeah. Just to, to reply to some of the things you were saying about um, about Natasha, Sarah, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, well, for one, it's really interesting how Scarlett Johansson's place in the like the public consciousness, especially fandom consciousness, has really shifted in the last 10 years. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when she comes out in Iron Man 2, at least in the circles I was in, you know, Scarlett Johansson playing Iron Man, playing you know, Black Widow and Iron Man 2, that was, like, completely celebrated. And there have been some, you know, weird choices with Scarlett Johansson as an actress and as a professional over the last few years. But that aside, I've always had this feeling that Black Widow was being underserved. Mm-hmm. Like, her debut was great. And from the summer of 2009, everyone's been saying, awesome, when is she getting her own movie? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been waiting for two for for ten years. We have been saying this, and every time she's brought in, you know, there's always like, okay, that was interesting, but it could have been something more with Ultron. We get that little bit of the red room. Okay, what 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 more are we going to have? Her relationship with Cap in Civil War. Okay, but she's almost like just his, you know fun buddy she's not really a whole bunch of her own person in that and here she gets some of her most interesting things to do as a character and as an actress but then at the end i mean hawkeye's right it should have been him (laughs) poor hawkeye we all just like wished it was hawkeye (laughs) he's he has also been underserved by the mcu but i mean for real it's hawkeye Uh uh-huh and he totally just kind of made a weird side gig of killing people of color in other countries. It was like, okay. Well, and that I was also kind of... You. Sorry, I didn't... No, no, go ahead. I wasn't trying to interrupt you. And that was also kind of a little vague. Like, it was kind of implied, but not fully put out there that he was actually being like the Punisher. But it wasn't really outright said what he was actually doing. So it was kind of like, I guess he's killing... I guess they're criminals? Yeah. Like, I'm hoping they are, but they really don't kind of go out there and make sure we know. We assume that he's stopping crime, but he's also just killing people. Yeah. And honestly, his best scene they gave him was in Age of Ultron when he's talking to uh, Wanda. Yeah, I liked that. That was good. How could I let this happen? Hey, hey, you okay? This is all our fault. Hey, look at me. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault. Who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know, because the city is is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. But I'm going back out there, because it's my job. Okay, and I can't do my job and babysit. Doesn't matter what you did, what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you, but if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. All right, good chat. 
Yeah, city is flying. It's a good Avengers moment for him. Yeah, that's a great moment. That, that was the best moment they gave him. So, I mean, and it's considering the fact that I have no idea, based on what I've seen, it doesn't, I don't know if they're going to be doing any more with him. A Disney Plus show, right? Oh, he has a Plus show? I think so. They're just giving them to all the Avengers. <laughs> oh, I, my hope is maybe, I was hoping, well, I'm hoping maybe then if they do that, maybe the, the scene with his daughter has something. Maybe she's going to be their version of Kate Bishop. Um, I hope that Kate Bishop is not his daughter, because I think that that would really change the dynamic that we saw in the series, because they're kind of more on an equal term as opposed to her being like his ward or whatever. But at the same time, I would love to see Kate Bishop in the comics and also for Hawkeye to have kind of a different tone, I think, because as you were saying, I think that he has been really underserved. Yeah, so that being well, hopefully we'll get something good out of that then with the uh, the show. But yeah, my mm-hmm. hope for Black Widow movie is maybe they'll reveal she's alive, and we, we you know just no one knows. So the word prequel's been bandied about that it's going to be about her earlier phase of her life. I also I know that ScarJo is going to be in it, but I also would not argue with a different actress. Mm-hmm. I guess it all also depends on how well it does. I mean, if the movie does okay. They'll go, great, we had a Black Widow prequel. But, I mean, if the doobie does really well, that might, like anything else, well, if it sells well, we should do another one. Well, she's dead. Well, let's bring her back. Mm-hmm. You know, what they could do is, you know, they've had Smallville, and they've had Gotham. They could make a five-season TV show called Budapest. <laughs> <That's a joke. laughs> I was thinking that... Uh, Scarlett Johansson actually did a really good job in this movie. I was really impressed, and I was impressed by all of the actors, actually, in a very, like, uh, I guess I don't always focus on the acting in these movies, but I thought everybody did a good job, and it seemed like a lot of people were saying their best goodbyes that they possibly could, so that was good. Yeah, because for a lot of them, it was their final movies. Mm-hmm. Their final movie, I should say, not movies. I, I know I really liked uh, Paul Rudd's, especially when he first comes back, the whole thing of his daughter, when he goes back looking for, for Cassie. Mm-hmm. Yep. That did make me choke up quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I was crying this entire movie. Like, I can talk shit about how I didn't like how the Black Widow's story ended, but I was still sobbing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, okay, good. So I wasn't the only one. Okay, yeah, so I lied. Yeah. I wasn't choking up at the thing, but when he sees his daughter, I, I did cry. There was just always a one tear that was running down one of my cheeks, like slowly the entire movie. And sometimes it would turn into both eyes going, but mostly it was like one tear just all of the time. Sarah and the perpetual single tear. Yeah, I was really glad that I went to see it by myself. <laughs> you and me like, both. Would have been weird if I had like subjected my friends to this. <laughs> they would have cried too, whatever. My wife would have looked at me like, why are you crying? I'm just sobbing. I don't know if it, if it's a usual thing among fans now or if it's, you know, something that's less common. But I'm a lot more emotionally attached to Cassie Lang in the comics than I am to Scott Lang. Mm-hmm. And I haven't even read a whole heck of a lot of either of them. It's like, you know, the original Young Avengers run and Children's Crusade and a couple other things. And, you know, that's all the Cassie Lang I've got. But gosh, I love her. And 
ever since his little daughter showed up in the first Ant-Man movie, I've been thinking stature, 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 stature. Mm-hmm. And seeing her as, you know, a young woman in this, I'm like, okay, okay, they're setting things up. They they can move forward with this. Yeah, I think they're totally setting up Young Avengers, but I totally also agree with you about her and also just Scott and her's relationship. I think we talked about this or maybe did I was I on your show for Ant-Man and the Wasp? <laughs> yes, Ant-Man and the Wasp, yes. Thank God. <laughs> that was our first time I think that we talked Ant-Man. together. Ah, I see. Um, yes, so I think we talked about it back then, but their father-daughter relationship, it's just designed to make me, like, burst into tears, pretty much. Oh, it's real well done, because, I mean, even though it's not outright said always, his main thrust is, I'm her, I'm a dad. And Mm -hmm. that's my main goal, my, my main purpose, and the goal of everything I'm doing is because I'm a dad, and that's the thing that's most important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the superheroing thing he usually does because that helps that. But for the which most part, the, you know, his goal is being dad, which is it's great. an important core part of the character from the comics. I mean, mm-hmm. Spider-Man fights bad guys because of his guilt complex from Uncle Ben dying. OK, that can't go away. Scott Lang, he's doing stuff to try to provide for his daughter, make his daughter's life better. And that's the entire reason he got into this whole business. I mean, yeah. that, that can't go away. Yeah, whether it's to provide for her or to make her proud or whatever, but the point is that everything's about Cassie. So I do, I did love that. Like I said, I did love that with with her. I it mean, was, we only got a few minutes of her, but that beginning, and she's not stature yet, so it makes sense. Hmm. I hope that she is soon, though, because that would be great. Because even in the comics, their father daughter interactions are so good, and even whenever he's gone or like deceased, <laughs> whatever's going on, she always has him as somebody who she really admires and it's always really clear. And I think that that's amazing. We don't see that very much. Yeah. Uh, I would not be opposed either way with having her stature, whether it's we get a young Avengers movie and that's where that first pops up or the third Ant-Man wasp movie is Mm -hmm. basically a trio. Mm -hmm. That'd be great too. Plus the two of them against him could be a lot of fun. (laughs) Oh yeah. Hope and Cassie. Not, well, maybe a little bit of ganging up, but you know, just just that, that dynamic that'd be fun. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, the verbal the verbal ganging. It's not like they're gonna beat you know attack, physically attack him, but they're you know. Although just, maybe that too. Well, minorly, yeah, in fun. <laughs> There's always room for fighting. <laughs> it's a comic kind of movie about hero superheroes. They're gonna fight at some point, but not in a real way. Just kind of in a you know. But yeah, the two of them ganging up and it could be a lot of fun. <laughs> Can you imagine though if like. If you had superpowers and all of your like angst against your parents, you actually got like the freedom to have a little bit of a cathartic duke out with them because, you know, <laughs> it's a superhero genre and neither one of you is actually going to get hurt. Right. They're just sparring. Right. I just had a thought of a scene like that where like she knocks him down. He gets up. He's like, that was for grounding you last week, wasn't it? She's like, a little. <laughs> I could just see that. Oh, they're so cute, even when fighting. Yeah. Well, John, any characters that you, you know, that really stuck out to you? Something um, you can talk about from the movie, character-wise. I think I really want to dive into Cap. Okay, let's go to Captain Cap. Captain America. Um, you know, he's he's kind of the crux of this film. I think he has more screen time than anybody else in the movie. Uh, he's 
probably my favorite single MCU person, except for maybe Wanda and Carol. Wanda and Carol, they're... I should just stop saying that Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel character and just start saying <laughs> it's Carol and Wanda. Um, I just, I've just read so much more Spider-Man. So, but Captain America in this, he... He goes back in time. He fights himself. <laughs> he has the whole elevator thing. It's like, you know. Oh, the when, elevator thing. Yeah. <laughs> when your character dies, you get to play the same level again, but you already know how it goes. And so you know the trick and you do it the first time with the whole Hell Hydra thing. That was fantastic. There's just, there's so much Captain America awesome. He and Tony get to make up. You know, we have a little bit of stony bromance back again. It's great. And then the the ending and just like all of the different conversations we could have about the time travel mechanics of the ending and the possibilities that were there. Yeah, we need to talk about Cap. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, real, real quick, that elevator thing, they did trick me a bit with that because I was expecting the redo of the line, anyone who wants to get off. But instead they did the Hell Hydra. That was great because it worked perfectly. The guy said, oh, here you go. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, kudos. I I did. Okay. When they're up in the um, the Avengers Tower doing the coda to the Avengers movie, and then Strike walks off the elevator with Jasper Sidwell, I was like, ooh, that's a nice continuity callback because we didn't know that Strike existed that early. Also, side note, why did they turn the British version of S.H.I.E.L.D., a.k.a. Strike, into a bad guy for us? That was a weird choice, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, and they walk off, and then... Um, they use the fact that Jasper Sitwell is with Hydra and that Strike is secretly with Hydra and all that stuff in this movie. Oh, there's some great, great story choices there. Mm-hmm. So I guess you did like the Captain America goes back in time and stays with Peggy. Basically what you said then. <laughs> yeah, I did like that. I mean, it's a conundrum, but I liked it. Sarah, how did you feel about that? Oh, I didn't like it, but also just kind of, uh, I don't know, it was fine, you know? Like, I thought it was very touching, and I cried once again, so it doesn't matter if my brain makes sense of it or not. If I'm still having an emotional reaction to it, that's what they wanted me to have, (laughs) so that's good. Um, So I can be like, oh, well, I didn't, in my mind, I'm just like, Peggy Carter would be like, that was great, but you have to go be in your own time or something. Like, that's how I would feel. Or Steve, like, would do something through this entire thing. There was, like, all of these things that happened that, like, he could have done something about. And I just don't feel like he or, or Peggy are the, the kind of people who would just not do anything about it since this whole movie was about them doing something about it or him doing something about it, about things that happened in the past that he wanted to change. So to me, I was like, well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't really love it. But, of course, we all just wanted to see them dance and like hold each other and kiss and have their romantic moments so it gave us what we wanted i questioned the logic that got us there (laughs) but at the same time there's moments like that in blockbuster movies sometimes and they're working with a lot of continuity well i can't argue with that um yeah uh oh shoot what was i gonna say damn it (laughs) i lost it (laughs) I guess it all depends on how they portray it going forward. I mean, they don't. I mean, did they have a date? I forget. Was there a date on there when we see the house where they're dancing? Because we don't know exactly how far back he went. No, there's no date. Yeah, they so don't. Depends, that's, that's, that's part that's of the discussion. Thing. It's when exactly does Peggy's life diverge? 
Mm-hmm. And, and also, I mean, I do agree with you a bit on, like, well, go back to your own time, because also, in our heads, Cap always belongs now. But let's face it, let's face it, though, for most time travel stories, most of them involve, like, if you go to get stuck in a time period you don't belong in, usually you go back to your correct time period by the end. Mm-hmm. So if they if you view Cap's story as that, then, yeah, he went back to where he should have been. Yeah, theoretically, I think that that's probably true. But you're right about the whole changing thing. Now, the question, of course, is what has been changed? We don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, have have things been changed? I mean, did S.H.I.E.L.D. not fall apart as it did? Because maybe Cap started, you know, if he went back to like 1970, where he did see her, maybe were they able to root out those people by then? You know, so did the events of Winter Soldier not really happen the same way anymore? Right, but what we're given is <laughs> the things that happen, I guess, just within the movies. So it's like we might find out more stuff later. That's how comics works. Like they just throw new stuff at you in the future, and it helps us to reconcile stories that maybe we didn't like whenever they first came out. I also think that Cap really deserves it, you know, and so does Peggy. They're both people who just never seem to fully connect with other people, I guess, other than, like, Sharon with Cap, which is, like, a little weird. Uh, it's but, always yeah. been a weird ever since Agent Carter in the 60s. It's always been weird. Yeah, since weird. it was her niece or daughter or granddaughter or whatever, always a little odd. A little uncomfortable, Steve. You've got a fixation. What was that? <laughs> Did you guys watch Friends at all? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that play Joey does where he gets on the alien ship at the end? And so, I'm going to get on this spaceship. (laughs) And I'm going to go to Blargon 7 in search of alternative fuels. (laughs) But when I return, 200 years from now, you'll be long gone. But I won't have aged at all. So you tell your great, great granddaughter to look me up. Because Adrian, baby, I'm going to want to meet her. Get on this spaceship. (laughs) Yeah, and Marty McFly has the same problem. Always dating women that look like his mom. And and also, Lorraine has this problem of always dating men who look like her son. So that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a little awkwardness there. We don't. That intersection. (laughs) I agree with Sarah that, like, the logic and rationalizing it out is not the most important element of that scene. But just just to kind of put my thoughts on it out there, that I see two easiest explanations for the whole cap time travel thing. And one is that. Because the first question is, did the events of Agent Carter even happen now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Depending on when he went back, yeah. Yeah, one possibility is that he goes back like right after the events of Agent Carter, like early 50s, and that he is the husband that she had all those years that she mentions in, in the Winter Soldier movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it does help we've never seen or given the name of that person, so it's all spec. that's all speculation of who that right. person is. And so that's him just, you know, having lived his life out in this timeline um, at the end. Another read is that he goes back and according to 
the ancient one skews a new timeline, mm-hmm. lives out a life in that other timeline, and uses the stones to hop back over here at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Those, to me, are the two easiest reads on that. I don't think either one has significant merits over the other, but y'all might feel differently. Oh, the second one would be the easiest for them to do, because then nothing really changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter because it's such a it's basically the point of it is to be an emotional moment, I guess. So as much as I want to like, you know, I just be like, ah, Peggy is a different person than that or something. It still is kind of like, well, whatever. (laughs) I cried. It's that's the end. I'll be that's the important thing. right? Exactly. They got my tears. (laughs) They got my tears from me. And of course, we want Cap to have that ending. I feel like I will say something like, oh, it wasn't realistic. And then I'm like, well, we're not talking about real people. Um, But it's also just like, you know, you want things sometimes to be more reflective of life. But then sometimes you just want like straight up escapism. And I think that that was the happiest ending that they could have given him in that moment, pretty much. And because it's not a comic where they they get to continue the Cap Adventures for as long as they want. Uh You know, the actor's leaving. So they had to do an ending of some point i mean of some mm-hmm. type so it was either i guess that or kill him mm-hmm. and we already had a couple other deaths as it was but he was great they knew it was his last mo- his last movie you know they like took it out they did everything really good yep. he was awesome yeah all right well since we're on them let's talk about uh which one do we want which death do we want to talk about next because there's two other ones we want to talk about tony or thanos who do you have more thoughts on? Wow. Um, I, I guess let's talk about Tony because I thought that Tony was really good. I've always had emotional difficulty loving Tony Stark. I always, even in the beginning of my reading comics, and he's not so far from his comic self. I feel like one of the best things about Iron Man was that it really did bring kind of the things that we associate with him in a very clear way, right? Yeah. So I think that that was great. And I have loved those movies. But at the same time, I'm just like, Tony, God, chill out. You're such a jerk sometimes. But this movie, I think it just like, it all tied together because he was being more responsible. He was taking care of the people around him, which he always tries to do, but he isn't always successful at. And his ego gets in the way. He makes all of these mistakes, but in this movie, I thought that he had grown up as well in ways that weren't immediately obvious because we're used to him kind of just being, you know, flippant to hide his deeper emotions and all of that stuff. In this, I felt like he wasn't flippant. I felt like he was very sincere the entire time. So I thought that he got more in touch with his emotions in a way that we haven't seen a lot of the other characters do. And almost dying at the beginning of the film made him a much more interesting person because he was saying his tearful goodbye at the beginning. So whenever it comes back around, it was just devastating because we had already started to mourn him and then thought that it was going to be okay. Mm, that's an interesting way of looking at it with the character wise. I was thinking about that, but you're right, especially. And I wonder, like you said, how much was the almost dying at the very beginning, but also how much of that is Morgan? Mm-hmm. I mean, he very much turns a bit, goes a bit more towards, like I said, the Scott Lang mod of, model of 
I have a fa- I'm a father now. I have a bigger priority than myself or even my own ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still saw all of the compulsion that makes him be irritating to people, but it was very clear more here where his motives were. And I think that him, that joke of, oh, proof that Tony Stark has a heart, you know, that kind of thing, that's him trying to tell people that he doesn't have one, or maybe it's questionable that I have one, because he's really afraid to connect with people in a way. And sometimes that makes him be a frustrating character because we're all afraid to connect with other people. <laughs> and yeah. so it makes it harder for us kind of to like look at somebody who's so actively making these mistakes that we see in smaller ways in ourselves, right? But I think that he just got so interesting with this because he was more sincere. He was obviously a great dad, just a great dad. So good, you know, just absolutely pri- prioritizing his daughter in a way that he didn't necessarily prioritize his relationship with Pepper, but then later became a person who was prioritizing that relationship. So I think that his arc was very interesting. I think it's the same. I I agree that Cap's arc was really brilliant. I think that he is just everybody's idea of what Captain America is, you know? So Chris Evans did great. The way that they sent him out, we all cried. It was fantastic. Tony had a much more subtle arc, I think. And I think that I really responded to it with this movie. All right. I like that. John, yeah, were you about to say great. something? Yeah. Um, no, it's just that I hadn't thought about the fact that we do get to actually see a lot more real and honest Tony in this. Because I've had conversations before where, you know, Tony is kind of, the role in the films that Hawkeye is in the comics. Yeah. He's the, he's the smart ass of the team. He, he tears down cap in the first Avengers film, basically quotes a lot of Hawkeye moments from the early Avengers comics in that first Avengers film. And, you know, he's, he's very brusque business first, hasn't had a lot of connection and through Pepper and their relationship and then their child, he's finally found connection that is meaningful to him. Um, and I think that that's like for him as a person, one of the most meaningful things ever. He didn't have his parents. He especially didn't have his dad. Um, and all the times we see him talking to other people, he doesn't want to be handed stuff, which, you know, could be, you know, some psychiatric stuff going on there. But he he does not in Iron Man three in Iron Man three, his refusal to connect to this boy that he is obviously very invested in. But mm-hmm. his, he doesn't want to show that investment. That's one of, you know, the 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 sort of heart wrenching aspects of that film is is that connection, that relationship. And seeing the boy show up at the funeral was really, really great. And that here, was a nice he, touch. Although I, I had, did I have to ask you who that was, or was that somebody else I asked? I don't know. It might have been me. I, I was once I realized who that was, I was shouting it from the mountains because <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that I was not the only person that was confused by that at first. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of going in circles. But just he sees his dad in this film, and he's able to get a little bit of a bond there that I don't think I don't think that the Tony of 2009, 2008 Iron Man or 2010 Iron Man 2, I don't think that Tony would have been able to have that conversation with his dad. Mm-hmm. But no. this Tony was. Yeah. Um, and so it's extremely believable that in this film, he does not want to give one iota of that life up. He needs that life. It's made him a whole person. 
Yeah, this is that's a great. I didn't. Yeah, this is something new to think about. But thinking about it, you're right, Sarah. Because I mean, looking back at like everything we had with Tony beforehand, before this movie, he is very much trying to distance himself. And like, while he wants to have a connection with people, he's trying to distance that connection, probably because of either his, his relationship with his parents or their death or whatever. He's expecting it to go away. So mm-hmm. he's having you there, but doing and keeping you at enough, everyone at enough of a distance that when you leave, it's not that big a deal. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Whether it's because of being with Pepper and the daughter or just the daughter, but either way, he now has a relationship where he doesn't have to do that. He just has a full relationship with these people. There is no hiding. And he had to say goodbye to Peter, you know, like this young kid who really looked up to him. And that must have been really hard, too, even though we didn't see that, because in Homecoming, of course, we saw them become these really troubled friends in a way like they had such a connection in Pete wanting to impress him. And then later Tony wanted to impress Pete, you know, in a way. So it was kind of their dynamic shifted. We got to see all this growth with Tony through that film. And then in this movie, you know, no real commentary on having lost somebody who really looked up to him, but you could tell that that had an effect on him. Yeah, it's almost like I lost one pseudo child. I'm not going to actually lose a child. Yeah, and right. just he who admired him. Yeah, no, he. That's right. Looking up, I, I didn't get a chance to see this again, but I do still want to. But that's definitely going to impact my viewing now. Looking at it that way, because that's that's really good. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. I'm mean to Tony Stark often, <laughs> so but I, yeah. I wanted to give him a fair reading. <laughs> Well, like you said initially, he is a hard character to like. I mean, and that was intentional from the beginning. And I'm talking about Tales of Suspense way back in 63. Because, John, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that... Because I would consider you the expert right now on this. But isn't that something Stan Lee even said? Is that, like, it's the 60s and you have this counterculture starting to form up. And he's like, let's make somebody who is the one of the heads of the military-industrial complex and make him the main character. I, I think that was Stan. I, that's the notion that I remember hearing or reading is that trying to make a character out of all the different aspects that would not be considered heroic by 60s youth and making that the hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing from Tony for Iron Man from the beginning, I would say, is that taking this person that we really shouldn't be viewing as a hero. And like you and like also, like you said, all these bad things that we can see ourselves. Cause isn't that one of the things they say about a lot of times someone who really irritates you a lot of times it's because of the parts of yourself, you know, the worst parts of yourself you see in somebody else mm-hmm. will drive you the most nuts. Yeah, definitely. I think that Tony has that brusqueness kind of, that makes everybody a uh, suspect of him. <laughs> Because he's lying. That's like the thing. If somebody shows you that kind of like joking over their feelings, then they're lying to you in a way. Like they're being honest in some ways. But, you know, that's it's an emotional manipulation in a way that they've learned to do. So it's good. You know, it helps us all survive to have these kind of like self-defecating depreciating. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Self-depreciating. Um. But uh, moments, right? So yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't save that one. I'm. I'm done talking about Tony Stark. 
I almost spit my coffee out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so that's Tony. So I guess we have our other real death since everyone else who died in the last movie came back. Uh, Thanos. Thanos. He dies twice. Mm-hmm. First by Thor chopping his head off. And then by Tony basically snapping him and his army away. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Sarah started uh, Tony Stark. John, any thoughts on Thanos? The thing about Thanos is that he's the big bad of Infinity War. He's the big bad living behind the entire Avengers franchise until you get to this movie. And going into um, Endgame, all of the storytelling points, all of the marketing, everything was all toward how are we going to beat Thanos? And then they do it in five minutes. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that's the shortest Avengers movie ever. Um, I was was, very confused, I have to say, when I first saw it. I was like, what? Well, it's just this massive stroke, um, pun completely intended, uh, that convinces you that the story you have come to see is not the story you thought you were going to see. That they're going to do something very, very different with the film. What we ended up getting is like the celebration of the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a franchise. But, you know, Thanos... Taking him off the table right at the beginning was a was a I don't know stroke of genius. I don't know. It was but and then working working way back around very slowly working way back around to bringing him back in as a player until you have the huge climactic you know Lord of the Rings final act only with more awesome women uh, that the. well, the well, role he one, plays so, yeah. is brought back around. Basically, they killed Thanos off, and it really didn't matter. He already won, so what was the point of killing him? Mm-hmm. And you're sitting, there, you're sitting there thinking, they just said that he he abolished the stones? He used the stones to destroy the stones? What's going to happen? What is this movie that we're watching? It was, I mean, that opening act was was just like, oh my god, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> and I guess... Looking at it now, while I still agree, and I know, Sarah, you agree with me, or at least you you did say once you agree with me, so I'm happy <laughs> for that, that I do prefer the whole Thanos and love of death thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I think this way is, it makes him a bit more, uh, well, uh, not emotional, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. Uh, sympathetic. <clears throat> because yeah. even if his, it's like a Ra's al thing, even though you completely disagree with his goal, methods, the goal, you know, the, the, the point you can go with. Mm-hmm. And it also changes the way, like for instance, when he kills Gamora in the last movie, it changes the way he, it would happen if he was doing that for the love of death. And it's just completely like, this guy is completely out of his mind. He's just, you know, a complete psycho the same way as like Freddie or Jason would be. Mm-hmm. But it does work for this the way this movie did, because I don't think if we had the Thanos that was in love with death and nihilistic, I don't think he would have gotten rid of the gems. He would have kept them. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was just, to me, a different character in the comics. I just think that his motivations were completely different. So I kind of look at this Thanos as being as different, maybe, as a character could be almost, because... The di- just the difference of that singular motivation, because he's still driven by one thing that makes him be a complete jerk <laughs> to every yes. living thing. 
but it's different because, you know, you get that full backstory in comics. He has this emotional arc and things like that where you go, oh, this person started as this and then he became this. And it's this whole thing. Whereas here, they kind of had to be like, why is he going to snap his fingers and kill half of the population? (laughs) Why is that going to happen? So he just has, he just is kind of a dumbass in a way sometimes because you're just like, well, that's not, if you take that, if you take half the population to spare resources, you're also taking like half of the resources. This isn't a good plan. He didn't think this one out. And he's so unwilling to hear anybody around him. But then we see a lot of people like that, you know? So it makes us be, the extremism of Thanos, I think, was a different beast in this film than it is usually in the comics. I think that's obvious, right? Oh, yeah. It's one of those people where they so believe they're right, they won't even listen to anyone else who says, well, you did make a mistake here. It's like, Mm -hmm. I make no mistakes. Everything I do is perfect. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how many people are following him walking around going, oh my God, this guy's a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Why are we supporting him? Why are we helping him? We just need to kill him, right? Can someone please kill this guy? Because, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And yet they're working for him. They're all like afraid for their lives. Yeah, his relationship with Nebula and Gamora, I think, is what shows us what a terrible person he is (laughs) in this. Because you see him as a conqueror, but we see conquerors be glorified a lot. It's kind of once he does that that moment where he just throws Gamora off the cliff in the last movie, I think is the moment where we know for sure that this is not a redeemable person, right? Oh, well, yeah. Well, I was hoping for that. I was hoping for the beginning that as much as I liked the character, I was hoping that he would not be a redeemable person because he should never be redeemable. No. I think that they flesh him out a lot more in the comics these days, right? Like, they just had those couple of Thanos series that were really interesting, but... Yeah. But I think there's, there's a line between making them sympathetic... I'm sorry, but between giving them complexity and background and making them sympathetic. Like, I don't think we should ever be on Thanos' side. No. Yeah. Um, it's a difference between explaining and excusing. Right. There, those are two different things. You can still explain why Thanos, you know, someone like Thanos or any horrible, horrible creature like person like that would do something as long as you're not excusing it. Right. Sarah, have you read that Sabretooth miniseries from 93? Is it the one with the die cut covers? I think so. Yeah, it's the <laughs> one you were talking about on Twitter the other day, I think, right? Yeah, they, they they do a good job out of the first issue. I've only read the first issue so far, but of like giving explanation of why Sabretooth is such a horrible, horrible person uh-huh. without even a little bit making you feel like you, you know, you understand him or like him more. He's he's still a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, we can't sympathize with him. Um, but yeah, he's a he, I think I mean not to totally derail, but he's another villain who I think is interesting because of that we it's where we draw our lines because there's a lot of villains that we see them like magneto poison ivy those are villains that are very sympathetic those are villains that definitely cross the line you know Mm -hmm. magneto has literally tried to kill the entire planet multiple times he's not good oh magneto likes to jump back and forth on that line every other minute (laughs) that's his tuesday (laughs) (laughs) he is still written very sympathetically a lot of the time. So it's like, you just kind of forget sometimes that he's done all of this, like terrible things. Whereas, yeah, I think that Thanos is definitely a lot more 
black and white. I think it's the same with Sabretooth, where no matter what we see of his past, we can never like him because just, I mean, what we've seen him do. Or we can never sympathize with him. And we can like him as a villain, right? Yeah. As a, as a character. Mm-hmm. And he makes us think. Thanos always does make you think a little bit. Even if you're just kind of like, well, that idea is not great, Thanos. <laughs> you still have to give it a minute and be like, why does this guy think this? I wonder yeah. if working for Thanos is anything like working for the Trump administration. I'm sure. Good God. I think they, they, they have to be aware of these parallels, right? I don't think that it can be an accident. Well, it's something like that. And what you were saying, the newest, I know they have a current Thanos miniseries going on right now. And the first one came out already. And in it, they kind of show that like, yeah, you know, every once in a while, someone might, you might hear some screams at night and someone's gone. Mm-hmm. So it's like Russia kind of uh, under Stalin. Yeah. Except less reasoning. If, you know, <laughs> And I'm just going to put reasoning in quotes. Yes. It's just because Thanos needs to kill something. Yep. It's like not the best career path, people. There's no real career path there, really. It's kind of that's literally a dead end job. He's somebody who created his own position, you know. (laughs) He saw a need for something and he filled it. You know, we need a psychopathic monster in this (laughs) universe. And I could do that. I think it's got to be me. But yeah, so I, I am come around a bit on the whole why, you know, his mo- different motivation, because it does work for this movie, you know, so it did work for what they wanted to do. So that was good planning from the beginning. If they, you know, well, either good planning or good work around, but either way, they made it work. And even though he's dead, I mean, if they want to, they could do the still the whole death bringing him back and go with the whole love of death thing afterwards. Mm-hmm. If they ever want to. I mean, he did kill half the universe. So, I mean, Death might be like, hey, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I look for in a person. <laughs> it sure is. Death, you weirdo. Well, you, know, you, got one, <laughs> you got one job, I guess, you know. Might as well go with it. Yeah, speaking of somebody who's very singularly devoted, death. Very interested just in death. Well, it's not It's not the Sandman's death. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little different, yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, please keep this guy away from me. He's creeping me out. I have a court order against him. Yeah. <sighs> Thanos, what is your deal? I thought he was pretty good in this, though. They did well with completely abolishing him as, like, a threat. And then being like, oh, no, he's awful and he's come back again. <laughs> yeah, and then he was a full threat again with everything he had. Yeah, even mm-hmm. worse. It was terrible. I think that he made a huge comeback. Yeah, well, because they brought him back with all the people that they took out in Infinity War, but they took them out separately. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to deal with them all at once. Now, all of a sudden, he has his full army plus all of the Black Order. Not just part of it by the time he attacked at the end of, of uh, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Thanos? Me? Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I was a little bothered initially because I didn't think the motivation needed to be changed. But after this movie, I have come around to it. Um, it was definitely a part of a part of it did kind of feel like the way that Starlin did him after Infinity Gauntlet, where he retired, kind of, quote unquote, retired with the whole getting rid of the gems thing. And like, OK, I'm done now. And it did feel like a bit of a Thanos nihilistic bit at the at that part when he went to kill him. He's like, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I want already. Mm hmm. You can't do any, you know, it doesn't matter. You kill me, which 
they then kill him <laughs> pretty quickly, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I then really liked how they didn't shy away from at the end. They showed him at the full, po- not just at full power, but they did show the insanity behind everything he was doing. I mean, at the end, by the end, he was like, forget my plan. I'm just going to kill everything mm-hmm. and let it restart in my image. I mean, they they fully did show that this is not just a guy, like I said, going a bit with the racial ghoul thing, but they went beyond that. He's like, he's gone. He They showed his insanity. Like, this was just some outlet for his crazy. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, but when this wasn't working, he's like, well, screw it. I'm just going to destroy everything. I wonder if, you know, Thanos has that moment when he realizes that the Avengers are not after him for something he's going to do. They're after him for something he has done. And he realizes that he wins. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the rest of his decisions in the film are based on the cocksure idea that he's going to win. Because yeah. he has won. I and want that's a ready, the way it goes. So I want a ready, so I'm going to win again. Right. Whatever we, I'm doing oh. here, it's my road to winning. Mm-hmm. We definitely saw a kind of counterpart of that in Gamora, where she knew that she was going to leave. <laughs> and she knew that he was going to do terrible things that she couldn't emotionally reconcile and it kind of got expediated by Nebula's conversation with her. Yeah. And I thought that their sister moments were great, too. If we're talking about, like, great personal moments, I think that that was fantastic. Well, I, well real quick, I'm going to go back to that. We'll get back to that real quick. But, John, something you just said about that made me think about that with the Thanos. And actually, it fits in. It is does fit in with one characterization from the comics they did bring that is brought over here, which is Thanos' defeat is always provided by Thanos. <laughs> and it was here. Because, like you said, John... That does look very much like what happened. Well, I'm going to win. So I'm just going to win mm-hmm. now sooner. But the difference is they have the advantage of knowing who he is, what's going on, what his plans are. You know, who his army, you know, who they really know, fought his army. They really know how his generals are, you know, what his generals can do. He doesn't really have much information on these people. He doesn't know much about them. And Thanos, as we've seen before, does plan. You know, he is not just some, uh, he's not the rhino. He's not going to just run out there and just start beating, assume that he's strong enough to beat everyone up. And yet that's basically what he did here. So in effect, he kind of did provide himself. It's almost like, oh, crap, I'm going to win. Well, this will stop that. I'm just going to attack now. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a Thanos uh, trait is that giving everyone else a chance to beat you. Uh, Allowing defeat, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak. Yeah, that's super consistent. So looking back at that, I do like I did like that before, but I, I'm liking that more now. Is thank for John for pointing that out because made me realize that. So I do like that more. But yeah, no, back to what you're saying, the Gamora Nebula thing. I did love the fact that the sister bond was able to bring Gamora around. That was just so good. I loved that. That's kind of for kids, I guess, that have to go through abusive parents and stuff. Just the idea of those kids banding together and working together to kind of get away from that is really good. And I thought that their reactions, their interactions, they we don't get to see too much of it. So here it was really nice to see, I thought. 
especially considering what all they did with that in Guardians 2, considering the fact that Gamora, it was a past Gamora, that before that, it's not all that's not all lost because it still affected Nebula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she learns to be really kind and caring towards her sister, which is part of her growing into a better person, kind of. So I think that that was a big part of her uh, her hero's arc. And that's great. I thought that the fact that it came from these interactions that she was having with her sister, and then she ended up helping her sister, I thought was really beautiful. And killing herself. I mean, talk about a yeah. hero's thing of, of like symbolically, you know, destroying your evil past. She literally killed her evil past. Yeah, that raises so many questions. <laughs> but it was definitely a very symbolic moment. I'm glad she got to have it. Just another, you know, awesome moment for for Nebula. I know. Well, I mean, well, I mean, how many times if like we look back and go, oh my god, what was wrong with me? I mean, there's so many times in my life I look back like just 10, 15 years ago, I think, did I have a brain? <laughs> was I an actual thinking creature? Because mm-hmm. why the hell would I do that? What the hell was wrong with me? Yeah, Nebula was just gaslit. It's so disturbing whenever she's begging Thanos to not kill her and how she'll make it up to him and like all of that is just mortifying. It really calls back to some stuff, you know, that I'm sure a lot of abuse kids have had to deal with. And that kind of, uh, God, just, just the fear of this person it was really good. That was like kind of, I think that her overcoming that fear was powerful in a way that was a little understated in the movie because there was so much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. They had to try to cram in as much as they could. Seriously. Um, I am hoping that we will see more of that in the next Guardians movie. Same. I would love that. Well, speaking of the next Guardians movie, and or... <laughs> yep. Well, I, I was thinking of um, I was thinking of Gamora, but we could definitely talk oh, about yeah. Thor. There's so many characters in this movie. <laughs> well, it's like Gamora has sort of been unwritten, uh huh, rewritten, and I, I'm, I don't know. I was never super keen on her just being like, okay, she is the most dangerous woman in the galaxy. And yet in the film, she was mostly just a romantic interest for um, for Star-Lord. And I was mm-hmm. never really totally comfortable with that. Like, I, I felt like they, they could have, should have done more with her. And I'm hoping that this is an opportunity for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, like they'll be on the trail of Gamora and you'll just see, like, terrified people. Like, yes, Gamora was here. We're not going to say more about that. She scared the crap out of us. <laughs> right. And it's not that she can't have a romance with Chris Pratt. It's just like she, well, not Chris Pratt, but with the star, it's just like she didn't do a whole lot else. Yeah, totally. And if you sell somebody as the most dangerous woman in the universe or the galaxy, you know, you do want to see something like that. I would agree. I think that that's right. Yeah, I think most of that we would have seen was her fight with Nebula, probably in the second one. Mm-hmm. Would be the closest we got to that. Yeah. Well, since we brought it up already, Thor. <laughs> Thor. Oh, God. Yep, so much problems. Good God, Thor. Good God, literally. Um, okay, so... Yes. <laughs> Thor is this epic Shakespearean character 
whom Kenneth Branagh directed in the first Thor film, that for being a rather simple movie as far as plot structure and story and everything goes, does a whole lot of really cool stuff. Um, and then Thor The Dark World tried to follow it up, and it was, you know, sort of a middling adventure. I like a lot of it. Um, I understand why people don't like it. Sure. Then it turned comedy. It it turned into, like, death comedy in yeah. the, the Ragnarok film. And while I certainly, you know, chuckled a lot and laughed uproariously at Ragnarok, I'm also kind of like, well, this is definitely a tonal shift for the character. And now that sort of defines who the character is. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the story they were telling with Thor that he had fallen off his warrior horse and had found a rock bottom place because of the events with Thanos and had to find his way back. I didn't even really mind them using the visual of him being overweight as part of that depiction. Mm -hmm. I just don't, know how much I like Thor being a laughing stock of the Avengers franchise. Sure. Yeah, I think that the rock bottom thing is definitely something that we see in the comics, right? We've seen that story many times. He's constantly getting put in his place. Even whenever Jane Foster took over as Thor, he was very upset about that and went into a deep depression and kind of dealt with it differently. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But this is definitely somebody who just saw his, like, home of, like, millennia, I guess, destroyed. He kills Thanos in this completely meaningless gesture, loses so much, just goes through hell again and again, loses his eye. Like, all of these things. So him getting scared and being someone who suffers from PTSD was great. It makes a lot of sense. It's definitely something that could have existed without it being a joke and probably would have been a lot better if it wasn't a joke because then that added all of this problematic aspects to it where we were just like, why are you making fun of the guy who has PTSD this whole time? Like, why are you making fun of this guy who is like, you know, just overweight a little bit, but has been more importantly has been drinking nonstop and just living in this weird little shack. Like that's more important we should be concerned about him. Why hasn't anybody checked up on him? <laughs> What's going on, you know? Um, I, I, I do think all of them were suffering a bit from that. I'm wondering if people not really talking to each other that much was intentional. But they sought out Hawkeye. They were looking for him. They've sought out other people, right? So, And, of course, like Thor's mm. a god, so they might have just been like, yeah, he's a god, he's fine. And we've always seen that really you know, brash, outgoing, kind of jovial, not really necessarily going to take things as seriously or as personally kind of character. But they were really concerned about the emotional states of a lot of other people. So I don't know. I thought that it was like, he was great. I really like Thor. I always enjoy him. And I think I agree with what you're saying, where you don't want him necessarily to be the butt of a joke the entire time, because he was, he's been funny in other times where it was not them making fun of the guy with PTSD. It was different. Mm-hmm. So I think that the kind of sympathy that they've given a lot of the other characters, they didn't really give him here. And I 
didn't love that, I guess. Okay. It's like there's a difference between having comedy and being comedy, mm-hmm. you know? And and Thor can have comedy. He can have comedic moments. He's hilarious. His, yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of his comedy is his, like, stoic warrior-ness, you know? But then, like, turning him into a jokester or whatever, um, turning him into basically getting out a ruler with Star-Lord at the end of the movie. Right. Who he had definitely done that to already. He had already kind of, they had that weird moment where Thor kind of was established as being dominant, I guess. And then, of course, at the end, it's more on like an equal par because they've seen the best and the worst of each other at that point. But so it's probably good for their friendship if they're going to have a friendship that they're on more equal terms. But I think that one of the biggest, most frustrating parts that, you know, that, where Quill like fails as a character is that he does just kind of be a laughing stock sometimes. So we didn't really need another Peter Quill. <laughs> we didn't need like Peter Quill to only worse, you know, or more problematic. I think that they kind of, and of course it, it's the entire MCU for a really long time has really relied a lot on humor, kind of mean spirited humor about people who are overweight so that sucks, you know, it sucked to see it before, it sucks in this movie, that sucked. But at the same time, Thor is always a good character, and you did... I had a lot of respect for his arc in a way. I wanted to see more of him having to deal with it instead of how it ended up, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I did like, however... Well, actually, speaking of what you said about uh, Star-Lord, the way I saw it, though, when I at the, at the very end, at least... I kind of I the way I viewed it when I saw it in the theater was he was because he did have that an arc and mm-hmm. Star Lord obviously just died and came back so he really is the same as he was last time you know he has no mm-hmm. change obviously because he shouldn't right I kind of took it like it was not like the same as it was in the Infinity War the way they were together if Thor was just kind of almost like playing with him like mm-hmm. Star Lord was taking it seriously and Thor was like oh. Let's see what happens when I say this. And that's what we like about their dynamic, right? Yeah, they, he was just teasing do... him. I didn't take Thor I... as like actually concerned with fighting for dominance. I don't know. I, I, but I could be wrong. You ahead, see sorry. how it goes the next movie. Oh, I just think that that's how he establishes dominance. <laughs> is by oh, being maybe. like, haha, like, haha, I'm just kidding. It's, it's right up until that last prolonged stare. And he's like, no, no, it's you. <laughs> but like in his eyes... Yeah, it's really me. Yes. <laughs> That's whatever I realized. I don't think he's just playing around, right? With, with Peter, he's like, you, "I'm going to let you think it's you, but it's really me, and everyone in here knows it." Right. <laughs> like, here's our chuckle about that, but for real. Well, but I don't know. Yeah, I I'm interested to see how that relationship will develop. And I do hope we get a Guardians 3 because evidently, you know, they've worked out some of the professional details with that. Right. Yep. We'll see what happens with that. Or if that's their way of changing the uh, dynamic or even changing the franchise up. I mean, will Guardians 3 lead to as Guardians of the Galaxy as a way of kind of continuing it on? But you don't have to have all the Guardians in it still if they're only on for if they're only signed up for maybe one more movie. Mm hmm. I don't know. Um, I feel like if we hadn't 
had all of the stuff with gun getting fired and everything, this film could have played exactly the same way. Cause the people who, whoever it is, is if it's Faggy or whoever that is like the mastermind behind the structure of the MCU, like they know what kind of stories are coming down the pike years and years in advance. So every script that gets written in one year is already being sh- uh, you know, sculpted and made to fit into ideas that are four or five, six years down the road because they're, they're, they're playing a long game. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that there was anything done in this film that was intended to change the Guardians franchise. Mm-hmm. I just think that for a while there, the logistics of making the Guardians franchise were up in the air. Mm-hmm. I okay. could be wrong, but that, that's how I read it. Well, that's this future speculation part. We'll have to. That's we'll all see who's right and who's wrong in a couple of years. Yeah, that's what I realized whenever I went into this movie was I was doing way too much work on my theories. I was like, they're going to bring in Kang. It's going to be awesome. And then it was totally just like more Thanos in a goodbye movie, which is good. It was totally all that we needed. But (laughs) I was going way overboard with my fan theories. Oh, you like you were the only one. And, and then, and Sarah, whenever they made a movie that didn't fit your expectations, did you launch a petition? And <laughs> No, I am the kind of person who will just kind of write about it a little bit or something and then be done. That's all I do. <laughs> right, right. And then I'm over it because I know that these stories, they're so malleable. They all just change so much over time. That was something that I think we all had to, well, I thought we all had to come to grips with whenever it was, you know, the year 2000 and X-Men came out and it was totally different from the comic. But I don't know. I guess there's still, and then I, I don't know. I feel like more, so many more people watch the movies that it's whenever I reference things just as comics, which is something that I'm very apt to do. People are just staring at me like that didn't happen in winter soldier <laughs> right right that is not the winter soldier story i know yeah yeah i know the feeling <laughs> hey mike shag what what are you doing in my house i i had a key made but that's not important anyway i just had a great idea for a trailer for that cute little network you do the the fortress of bailey Toot podcasting network yeah that's the one it's adorable i love it i mean look at you like with the network and stuff Thanks, I, I I think. Anyway, you know how people sometimes advertise something by, like, being extreme and suggesting that you just might die if you don't buy, like, a particular product or something? Yeah, I, I believe those people are called sadists. Sadists? That's one way you could say it. Or guy with a marketing degree. Kind of the same thing. Anyway, we could record a promo where I ask you something like, Mike, do you know who didn't listen to the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network? Who... Gwen Stacy. Really? You know who else didn't listen to it? <sighs> who? Thomas and Martha Wayne. The Waynes. And Uncle Ben. Not the rice. Uncle Ben. And the entire planet of Krypton. Except those that survived. What about Bucky or Jason Todd? Ooh, that's genius. Okay, we'll say they didn't listen, and then Superboy Prime punched a wall, and then they listened, and they were brought back to life. I guess we could also say that Aunt May subscribes and unsubscribes all the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Now you're catching on. I'm not doing that, Shag. I'm not going to suggest that people will die if they don't listen to the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network, which hosts such shows as From Crisis to Crisis, Overlook Dark Knight, Views from the Long Box, It All Comes Back to Superman, and Bailey's Batman Podcast, and that they can find the network at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Are you sure? I mean, I do have like a marketing degree and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty smart. No. Can I at least be in the trailer? Yes. The Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. The repository of podcasts produced and hosted or co-hosted by Michael Bailey. Head on over to www.fortressofbailey2.com to download the shows directly. You can also find a master feed of all shows by searching for Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or you can subscribe to the shows individually. The Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network does not suggest that not listening to any of these shows will prove fatal, nor does it endorse surreptitiously making a key to a friend's house for the purposes of busting in and suggesting ideas for podcast trailers. Music in this trailer by Kevin McLeod. I don't yeah. know how much we are uh, towards wrapping it up or not, but I do have a thought that I want to bring up. Okay, tell it. Um, so Michael Bailey has said, and he's a podcaster, Superman, various other things. Um, he presented the idea to me once that kind of stuck in my brain that ongoing comic book storytelling is pretty much perpetually stuck in the second act. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, you know, you have your origin story that launches things and you never can really wrap things up. The best you can do over decades of stories is the illusion of change. Yep. Um, and, you know, the MCU is telling stories that are inspired by a lot of those ongoing stuck in a second act stories. And yet the MCU is growing and shifting and changing. And I feel like Avengers Endgame is definitely the close of a giant chunk of volumes mm-hmm. of this story. We're not, we're period end of sentence, not going to have Tony Stark, Steve Rogers or Thor in the Marvel cinematic universe anymore ever. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, Thor still. Yeah. Oh yeah. So cause Thor's with the guardians, right? Black Widow is, I mean, well, well, actually, that's still, to me, that's still iffy. Even, you know, even if it's just a prequel, we at least have a movie still coming out. But I do have hopes that something will happen that will continue on. Oh, yeah, they'd have to. They it's they just didn't have very many women characters for such a long time. And she was the one that we had. <laughs> and then she died what is a pretty unsatisfying death for a lot of people. So, yeah, they'll have to do something with that character going forward. I felt kind of the same about a few characters. I guess I felt that way. Because, like, Wanda's really great in these movies. Once again, though, she's gone the whole movie, you know? We didn't didn't see very much of her past her initial arc, I feel like. Obviously, we're getting the Disney Plus series. Yeah, Yeah. that's the only reason I'm a little more okay with that. We didn't see the vision at all in this. At all. Yeah, they didn't even imply how they're bringing him back. 
No, they just they, they mentioned his absence, and you know that was you know real and human and nice. But the fact that we're getting more of their story in a TV show makes me a little bit more okay with that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's shift towards the next part then before we get to the end of what we're thinking about in the future. And like John, what you said is the difference in the I think of the MCU as opposed to the regular comics is that because of well the fact that you have actors and they're going to get older even if they want to stay on they're get you know they're people they're getting older they're not ink and pen that where they're going to stay the same age forever mm-hmm. is that they do have to shift away I think the next few phases are probably going to focus a little bit away from Avengers probably or at least those characters and on the newer ones they have and possibly even I'm wondering if the next phase if phases after that will focus more on the characters that are getting back like the fantastic four and the x-men because i mean they have so many characters they can do is that they can keep having each set of phases focusing on a group of something like this like this phase the core original five avengers where they're still their main focus for the most part that's why they were the focus of this last movie mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if like the next phase like the next set of movies will be you'll have more of dr strange captain marvel spider-man black panther Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then maybe after that, like we said, maybe Fantastic Four. And the fact that we have the shows, we're able to now shunt some of these people off where, like, will we get another Captain America movie? Or will all the story now with Falcon as Cap and Bucky be in the TV show? Because now we don't have to worry about doing a movie for them, because there's only so many movies they can do in a year. But if they have shows now, then it's like, well, we don't have to do another show for these, a movie for these guys. They got a TV show. You know, you got... 14 hours with them right i forgot to say too that i'm really happy to see sam as but or as captain america yes that's gonna be great i hope they just have to do it because i felt like in the comics they dropped the ball so hard on that so i'm really looking forward to that which i forgot to say whenever we talked about captain america well, the problem right. for something like that, and I think like very few times have they done it well. Like Thor was a good way, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, for the most part, we know they're coming back. Right. You know, it's not a surprise. I mean, the only time in comics they really did it where like, oh, these people are being replaced and they're not coming back, I would say was at DC with Flash and Green Lantern. And guess what? They still came back. They're back. <laughs> Yeah, those are specifically cases where when the story was made, there was no intention of bringing them back. Right. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I bought the I bought the sales pitch with Steve Rogers whenever Bucky was cap, as I honestly thought that, OK, they've done it. He went for so long that I figured right. they were, you know, there would be some other writer, some other creator down the road that would bring Steve Rogers back as cap, but it wouldn't be Brubaker. And then it was Brubaker. <laughs> and then he says that like, we only kept Bucky around for so long. Cause people loved it so much, but it was not the plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last time I fell for that was a uh, Superman. In 1993 was- <laughs> Superman. Yeah. They actually did trick me. I actually started to wonder as I'm reading that, like, is he actually gone? Like, is this actually it? Interesting. I mean, I was like 16. Todd McFarlane yeah. believed it. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm wondering if uh, that's so what do you, what do you think, John, about like the next uh, coming up for the next phase? Like, well, I just wanted to speak a little bit about uh, cap and um, Falcon. Oh, go right ahead. Because whenever civil war, was it civil war? 
I think it was Civil War. When Civil War was first announced, it was actually just after we had gotten an announcement of Captain America Serpent Society. Mm-hmm. And that was totally a red herring and a misdirection so they could save the big announcement for, uh, I guess it was Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or something. And they actually did a whole thing where the, the Serpent Society logo faded into a Civil War logo. Um, so I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> so they announced just before Endgame came out that we're going to get a Falcon Winter Soldier TV show. And they showed us a logo. So now I'm wondering if this is actually going to be a Captain America, a Captain America Winter Soldier or even a Captain America Bucky TV show concept. Um, and that that was just like, you know, an obfuscation. I'm, I'm thinking that July is going to have a lot of really big stuff coming down the announcement pike. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Now, does anyone think we're going to get any more Avengers movies or do we think for a while it's going to be just so like, are we done with Avengers as a movie for a while? Um, I think that, yeah, it'll be like young Avengers. I think we might end up with an a force considering that moment at the end where they were like, all of the women kind of just showed up at the same time in the same direction. Yeah. Which of course like was great. And then also, disappointing because we're like oh you haven't really had any women avengers (laughs) that much have you and then you know we see them come together and it's like this is the best thing that i've ever seen oh but it's like 12 seconds of the movie i thought that that was interesting at least and i would of course watch the hell out of an a-force movie would watch the hell out of a young avengers movie so, yeah, I think maybe they'll go to, as as I believe you were just saying, just kind of go off into these new directions, explore different characters for a little while. More Black Panther, more, you know, hopefully A-Force and Young Avengers. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen. I think we will get not a straight-up Avengers movie, at least maybe not for a while. Mm-hmm. But something like along the one the side type teams, like you said, A Force, Young Avengers, something like that, where it's still Avengers, but not exactly. Right. The business side of my brain, which isn't really that significant, but it's there, uh, <laughs> is wondering if you know they've put a lot of stock in this branding. Avengers is a thing. Oh yeah. You know, everything else feeds the Avengers films. And so while, you know, I want to see Fantastic Four and I want to see X-Men and they could succeed in pulling off a big, you know, shift in the steering of the boat. Mm-hmm. I, I also kind of feel like, wow, you know, the Avengers is the Disney bread and butter right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let's remember there were four years between Iron Man and the Avengers. So we could start building a new, you know, a different Marvel multi-franchise of some kind, which, you know, could be cool and it could slowly build up again. But I don't know. I feel like, I feel like at this point, you know, we're running full steam ahead. Disney has three Marvel slots every year for the next several years in their schedule. We've got, we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pike. And I, I'm, I don't know. 
Well, that's what I was wondering if they would do the side one. So still Avengers is still there because you could still have the, I mean, Young Avengers would still have the Avengers logo. Right. You know, A-Force could still be called Avengers A-Force. <clears throat> or honestly, they, really just Avengers and subtitle and just have it be like a predominantly or totally female team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they've done, it feels like they know what they're, they seem, I'm, for the most part, I'm going to trust them right now because they seem to know what they're doing with the storytelling. So I'm wondering if they might go, this is the time to step away from Avengers a bit and do something else. And then when we come back, then let people go, well, when are we getting Avengers again? And let people get excited as opposed to let's get to Avengers six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, since they've done this well, if they want to do this with a, you know, for the storytelling purpose, they might business-wise, they might allow them to do it because, well, it's worked out so well. It worked out pretty well for us listening to you for these story ideas. So we might as well continue. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends how greedy they get. <laughs> well. <laughs> and considering the fact they own pretty much everything, I mean, yeah. I how, greedy, how greedy do they need to be? I was going to say. <laughs> the mouse just keeps eating the entire world made of cheese. Yep. I know. It's kind of partially scary and partially exciting because part of me is like, oh, boy, like, you have everything. Like, they're buying everything. And the other part of me is like, yay, a good, maybe we'll get a good Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that the real world implications is a little bit heavier <laughs> on yeah. the scale. But, but I am also a nerd and understand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Fantastic Four might be good. Oh, maybe you shouldn't be rooting for a monopoly. Like, And people are like, you know, so many people lost their jobs with the merger. Just, you just, it's, this is why we can't have nice things, you know? Yeah, I, I understand that. I trust, I lost my job in a merger once before. I used to work for Singular and then they merged with AT&T and um, my job went away. Mm-hmm. So I understand that completely. But on the other hand, part of me, the, you know, the 17 year old of me is like, does this mean we have a chance of having a Fantastic Four movie where they can also have in their Hulk, Ghost Rider, Punisher and Wolverine? No, sorry, Spider-Man and Wolverine. And have yeah, the Fantastic new Fantastic Four? Four from that. Yeah. 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 Like, ooh, ooh, this is a possibility. <laughs> yeah, it is. I would watch that movie. I can't lie. Yeah. Yeah. As much as, you know, we hate that. It's like they're bastards. Like they're really good. It's like, yeah, we're doing this thing. But look at this. Look at this exciting, shiny thing. Yeah, and I think in the end, staying home from, like, one movie <laughs> probably won't end. I, like, I swore off pop culture for years, and I, it didn't make there be less of it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. So, well, I guess the ultimate thing is really just go watch, read, buy, whatever, what you like. And buy some like independent it, stuff. Don't go. Go ahead and support some independence while you're out there. Definitely. <laughs> no, I agree with that. This is like the funniest like conclusion to a me talking about you know us talking about in game <laughs> like this like the most highest grossing <laughs> movie of all time and at the end I'm like but capitalism isn't great right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the best thing. Un- unrestrained. <laughs> it's like the movie didn't expect it to go there, but it did. <laughs> Unrestrained capitalism gave us the Great Depression, kids. <laughs> Unrestrained most things is not a good thing. Except chocolate. Good point. <laughs> now you have me thinking of that chocolate place in Universal Studios that I've been, I, I keep not getting a chance to go to. 
See? They have a chocolate now restaurant. You, now you know what you're doing tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow, but yeah, when we go back there. <laughs> oh, well, it's been a heck of an episode, but it's not over yet because we have to do our feedback. And the feedback we're talking about this time is from episode 95, Infinity Countdown Part 2, The Saga of the Infinity Stones. On Facebook, the post about that episode was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Mirko Mackey, Jesse Starcher, Michael Lane, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Bill Bear, Tim Price, Pat Sampson, and Dan Oshtoff. On Twitter, it was liked and retweeted by Jason Snick Venable, Scott Marciano, Prajavin Saxena, A Journey Beyond the Skies podcast, HOCOF, which stands for History of Comics on Film, Van Holes podcast, and Brian Z. And on Tumblr, the post was liked by Strange Fate PhD. Speaking of Tumblr, I want to thank a few more of the people who follow our page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Thank you to Liggins404986X, Stephen Wilcox Artist, Black Cat 46, Kiwi and Ahobi, and C Block 42. I love those Tumblr names. Now, we don't have an email or a comment on the Podbean site to talk about this time. We've used them all up. But we do have an iTunes review. This five star review was left by Nerdy Love1997 on March 19th of this year. It's titled Amazing Show. If you learned to love Thanos when he snapped his way into our hearts in the MCU, (laughs) then you need to check out this show. Al and his amazing friends take a deep dive into the classic Starlin issues and make the crazy world of 70s Marvel cosmic comics come to life. Sean Ross. Thank you, Sean. That's awesome. That name sounds familiar. Sean was on a couple episodes ago. I forget which one right now, but he helped me with the Friends and Enemies segment. He also is the co-host of the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. So when we did the Mephisto vs. the Podcasters crossover, I was on their show. So you can go listen to them there. Right now they're taking a break from Secret Wars, now that Secret Wars 2 is done. And they are covering the the Squadron Supreme 12-issue miniseries from the 80s. So check that out. That should be pretty awesome. Speaking of guest starring, I have been on another podcast in the last two weeks. DC OCD Episode 29, Infinite Crisis. This show, every episode, they cover uh, a different DC Comics event, starting with Crisis on, Crisis on Infinite Earths and going forward. And each time, they go over the event and rate it. And then they compare their rankings to see where they feel these different events fall. Each episode, they invite another person to send in their thoughts on that, and they take in their votes into consideration as well into where their final ranking is for that event. This episode, they invited me on, so if you'd like to hear my thoughts on Infinite Crisis, go check out DC OCD episode 29. All right, you want to be part of this. I already told you where our Tumblr page was. Go to our Facebook page. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the Facebook search box. It'll pop up. On Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. We're on iTunes, so you can always leave a review on there. We're on Podbean. You can leave a comment on the episodes there. And, of course, you can always just send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. 
Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfin Stafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So, maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What? What, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Alright, I think we've gotten to the end, unless anyone else has anything specific about the movie, or characters, or whatever they want to talk about. I think I'm good. Oh yeah, we've talked for a long time, I think we're all talked out. Yeah, I think so, we felt like we got <laughs> to the end at this point. Alright, well, thank you both for being on, I really appreciate it. Um, who wants to go first with plugs? John, you go first. <laughs> okay, Alright, here we go. Um, so, I do stuff on the internet, um, and you should go check it out, thanks. No, uh, <laughs> that sounds so dirty, by the way. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics, and uh, my pinned tweet is a link to all my other stuff I do. But um, weekly Marvel podcast uh, called Make Ours Marvel, I do with Mike Kaiser. We're talking about Silver Age Marvel comics, and we occasionally do specials about not comics. And Sarah has been on quite a number of times talking to us about X Men movies and other stuff. So that's at Make Ours Marvel. Uh, my Image Comics podcast, where I'm talking about the early years of Image Comics and all of the uh, bombastic muscles and pouches. Um, that's at all the pouches on Twitter. Uh, every Saturday morning, my son and I release a video commentary podcast on the first Super Sentai show, which is the precursor to Power Rangers. That is uh, Super Silly Sentai, which is at Silly Sentai on Twitter. And I do a tweet blog whenever I read a Scarlet Witch story for Make Ours Marvel. I tweet about my Scarlet Witch thoughts over at It's Wanda Time. So that's an intermittent thing, but it does exist. And um, just because I didn't have enough going on, I recently launched another um, 
thing uh, that's going to be uh, actually starting up this fall. I'm doing some Transformers podcasting, so you should go look up at TFUK podcast on Twitter and check me out there. So, anyways, yes, those are my things. All right, Sarah, yeah. your turn. Okay, um, I still write for Sci-Fi Fangirls. I also am starting a webcomic this next month really? called Volatile Anesthetic, which will have a Patreon. We want to tell it really long form and not be restricted by it getting canceled if it doesn't sell well enough. So we just kind of want to keep it going for a while. So we're going to do as a webcomic, do it through Patreon. That's not until July 1st, I believe, that that's going up. But that'll be a major focus in my life for a while. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of branching out a little bit and doing different things right now. So I'm in the middle of a lot of different things. But basically, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Both are at Sarah Century, no H. And, yeah, I guess that's about it. Go support sci-fi fangirls always because besides me, there's a ton of great writers on that site. And uh, I write for them quite a bit, too. Yep. And as usual, links for all these things will be put in the uh, show notes. So if there's anything here that you're interested in, just go down the show notes and click and you'll go right to them. All right, guys, uh, that's it then. Thanks again for being on. Yay. Yay. Thank you. And uh, we'll uh, guess next episode, uh, Joe will be back and we're going to be doing the next part of our Infinity Countdown coverage. So we'll see you then. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Or did we lose John? I think I was muted. Oh, okay. Um, oh. But I'm not <laughs> muted now. So the... Um...